Hi there. Good Tuesday morning. Major developments overnight in that high-profile abortion case in Texas. The ripple effects far-reaching. It is December 12th. This is today. Key ruling. The Texas Supreme Court rejects a woman's challenge to one of the most restrictive bans in the country. The mother fighting to end a high-risk pregnancy that is jeopardizing her health, now fleeing the state to have the procedure. There's no outcome here that I take home my healthy baby girl. The very latest on the closely watched case at the center of the battle over abortion here in the United States. Personal plea, Ukraine's president in Washington for high stakes meetings at the White House and on Capitol Hill, pushing for more aid in the fight against Russia. Just ahead, why it's being connected to the war in the Middle East and border security. We'll have the latest. And national security spokesman John Kirby joins us. Mountain of rubble, crews working through the night after an apartment building collapses in New York. I think it's really important to enforce that this is an ongoing operation. Remarkably, nobody seriously hurt. The search for a cause now underway. We're there live. Breaking her silence, Jennifer Aniston speaking out in her first interview since the sudden passing of Matthew Perry. What she's revealing about the conversation they shared just hours before he died. Those stories plus, just say no. Good news if you have too many party invitations on your plate this holiday season. The science behind why it's okay to skip some of them. Today, Tuesday, December 12th, 2023. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb. Live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Welcome to today. It's a Tuesday morning. How about that? Not one nail biter. We had two down to the wire. It was a good night last yeah, night. Yeah, Monday football. night football definitely mm-hmm. delivered. We'll have the highlights just ahead. Plus, we are on the scene of that apartment collapse in the Bronx, the corner of the building, crumbling to the street below. But amazingly, officials say no one was seriously injured. We will have a live report just ahead. But we're going to start with one of the most high-profile abortion cases since the fall of Roe versus Wade. Overnight, the Texas State Supreme Court ruling against a woman who sought permission to end her high-risk pregnancy. That decision coming just hours after the mother of two announced she would have to leave the state in order to have the procedure. NBC's senior legal correspondent Laura Jarrett joins us now with details on the fallout. Laura, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. This case has attracted nationwide attention, something of a flashpoint in the ongoing battle over access to abortion in this country. This one woman's story now highlighting the limits of seeking help from the courts, even when her doctors say it's an emergency. This morning, a Texas mother making a difficult decision to leave her home state for the emergency abortion her doctors say she needs. Her legal team saying Kate Cox's health situation had grown worse. Once you've had multiple trips to the emergency room, it doesn't make any sense to keep waiting. Hours later, the highest court in Texas overruling a lower court's decision on Monday, now saying Cox's doctor didn't show her abortion would meet the standard for a medical necessity, clarifying the narrow exceptions to the state's abortion bans. I never thought I would ever need or want an abortion. I always wanted a big family. It's a case of legal whiplash for Kate and her husband, Justin, who already have two children. The couple, devastated to learn the baby she's carrying, is suffering from a fatal genetic condition, a pregnancy her doctors say is not viable and jeopardizes her future fertility. 
there's no outcome here that I take home my healthy baby girl. Last week, a state court judge ordered Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton not to enforce the state's six-week abortion ban against Cox or her doctors. The idea that Ms. Cox wants desperately to be a parent and this law might actually cause her to lose that ability is uh, shocking. But that decision was quickly put on hold after Paxton's office petitioned the state's highest court, arguing Cox doesn't meet the criteria for a medical exception. Paxton also warning three hospitals in the area they could be subject to civil or criminal penalties if her doctor was allowed to perform the abortion. Laura, this is a Texas case, but could it have implications, legal or otherwise, in some of the other states and abortion restrictions we're seeing? Yeah, even though this was just about woman woman's case in Texas, it was really viewed as something of a test case nationwide because, of course, abortion access is in the hands of the state now, guys. Because of the fall of Roe v. Wade, the states decide. And really, the idea was if they could go after the medical exceptions, that might be an avenue for access. But her case shows you have to go about pleading it the right way, or even that doesn't work. Even that, I mean, that's legal lim, legal jargon. We love ple- we're pleading it the right way. What does that mean? You have to actually make your case, put forward the evidence, and the doctor has to meet the exact legal standard that is in the statute, or you can't get any relief. And in this case, the doctor didn't testify, testify that her, her life was at risk. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Laura, thank you. All right, thank you, Laura. Also this morning, Ukraine's president is back in the United States, appealing directly to President Biden and members of Congress for additional funding for his uh, embattled country. And in Washington, that push is being tied to assistance for Israel as well. We have two reports, and we'll talk to National Security Spokesperson John Kirby live. But let us start with NBC's chief White House correspondent, Peter Alexander. Hi, Peter. Good morning. Hoda, good morning. What a difference a year makes. Last December, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky was welcomed with standing ovations when he addressed a joint session of Congress. But today he faces a very different situation ahead of his meetings on Capitol Hill before he heads here to the White House. Zelensky, desperate for new aid for his country, is being thrust into a bitter domestic political battle. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is today preparing to deliver an urgent plea to President Biden and Congress. The time is running out for the U.S. to approve more aid to bolster Ukraine's war effort. Ukraines haven't given up and won't give up. And we hope just as much to be able to count on you. Zelensky's hastily planned U.S. trip at President Biden's invitation comes just days after Zelensky's top aide warned a delay in more military aid could pose what he called a big risk of Ukraine losing the war. President Biden is pushing Congress to pass a nearly $106 billion package that includes roughly $60 billion for Ukraine, as well as support for Israel and money to fortify the U.S.-Mexico border. But Republicans have balked at the plan, demanding tougher immigration policies before they agree to further funding Ukraine. If we're going to have a national security supplemental package, it ought to begin with our own national security first. The political standoff comes as American support for Ukraine is waning and the country's counteroffensive has stalled. Still, Zelensky is arguing that a failure to act now will only empower Russian President Vladimir Putin. If there's anyone inspired by unresolved issues on Capitol Hill is just Putin and his sick clique. 
President Biden insists new aid cannot wait, that it must be passed before the end of the year. And we can't let Putin win. It's in our overwhelming national interest and international interest of all our friends. Again, with Ukraine's resources running out, the White House is warning that Ukraine aid needs to be passed before Congress goes home for the holidays. But the top Senate Republican negotiator says there is no way it's going to get done this week, and it could be at least January before the two sides are any closer to an agreement. Hoda. All right. Peter Alexander for us at the White House. Peter, thank you. Meanwhile, Israel is under mounting pressure this morning to once again pause its war against Hamas as the humanitarian crisis deepens across Gaza. NBC's chief foreign correspondent Richard Engel is in Jerusalem for us. Richard, good morning. Good morning, Savannah. The death toll in Gaza has now passed 18,000, according to the health ministry, which is run by Hamas, while Israel's defense minister said that Israel has no plans to permanently reoccupy the Gaza Strip. As Israeli troops attack Hamas across the Gaza Strip, calls for a ceasefire are intensifying and growing more urgent, with President Biden calling for caution. Six international humanitarian groups, including Save the Children and Care USA, issued a joint statement this morning warning the war is sending Gaza into an apocalyptic freefall. They're asking for a ceasefire and action from Washington, saying the fighting has killed more than 7,500 children, more than all global conflicts last year combined. The Israeli military says it does not target civilians and gives warnings before attacks. In Washington last night at a Hanukkah celebration, President Biden pledging support for Israel, but saying he's had differences with the leadership there. They have to be careful. The whole world's public opinion can shift overnight. We can't let that happen. And the risks of this conflict spilling across the Middle East and drawing in the United States are once again on the rise. Overnight, Rockets launched from areas controlled by Iranian-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen struck a Norwegian ship in the Red Sea, causing a fire and damage, but no casualties, according to U.S. defense officials. In Iraq, Iranian-backed militias targeted the U.S. embassy last week. Inside Gaza, hunger and desperation are spreading, putting Gazans and the hostages taken by Hamas at risk. One of the first hostages freed by Hamas 85-year-old Yocheved Lifshitz says time is running out to save the hostages still in Gaza. How concerned are you about the ones who didn't get out? The lack of air in the tunnels, as well as the shortage of food and medicine, could bring people to complete exhaustion, and they just won't make it. They need to get out today. Otherwise, they won't live. The U.N. General Assembly today is voting on a resolution calling for an, calling for an immediate ceasefire. It's non-binding. Savannah. All right, Richard, thank you. Joining us now from the White House, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. Admiral, good morning to you. Uh, we'll get back to the Middle East in a moment. Let's start with Ukraine because President Zelensky is coming today and he's hoping to not leave empty-handed. How confident are you that this funding will be passed? And can you send a signal? How far is the White House willing to concede and make some concessions to get this deal done? Well, we're confident that there's strong bipartisan support up on Capitol Hill, Savannah, for supporting Ukraine. That's clear in both chambers and, of course, across both uh, in both uh, parties. Uh, what's not clear is whether or not 
uh, the Senate can come to some sort of agreement here uh, and get something up to the to the president. Now, the president has said um, and he'll repeatedly say uh, that we're willing to make compromises here. That's what negotiations all about. That's what governing is all about. And he does believe in border security. That's why there was additional funding, some six billion dollars in the supplemental request that we turned in just to help with border security. So we're willing to have that discussion. Uh, but we can't let Ukraine lapse. We can't let our support for Ukraine uh, uh, lapse uh, as these critical winter months are, are, are approaching us. As you well know, there has been significant erosion in polling for American support for continuing aid at this level for Ukraine. Congress has already approved more than $110 billion. This request is for another $60 billion. I mean, Americans are looking for an end game here. Can you say that if this aid package is passed, it will be decisive, that there's a strategy to follow it up, that it's not just funding a stalemate or a war in perpetuity? What I can assure the American people is that this additional funding will absolutely help Ukraine claw back even more of their territory and try to, to kick the Russians right out of Ukraine uh, to restore their own territorial integrity. This, this is critical funding for critical systems that will absolutely have a profound impact on the battlefield for the Ukrainian soldiers. It will also help encourage other nations to continue to their support for Ukraine. Now, how long that fight's going to go, I, I couldn't tell you uh, with any great specificity. Uh, but this this kind of uh, funding for these kinds of systems are critical right now. Let, let's talk about uh, the Middle East. I want to ask you about the breaking news coming out that Iran-backed Houthi rebels have fired missiles, missiles at a ship yeah. in the Red Sea. We also see increased fighting in the north uh, between Hezbollah, again, Iran client, and uh, in Israel in the north. Mm. How concerned are you about this conflict widening? And are we already there? We're very concerned about a widening or escalating deepening of this conflict. We don't want to see a second front there in the north between Israel and Lebanon. The the, the rockets that have been fired back and forth obviously uh, are of concern to us. And of course, what the Houthis are doing in the Red Sea, that's why we're now working with other countries to boost and, and, and strengthen uh, an existing maritime task force to protect shipping, commercial shipping uh, in the West Sea. Uh, and I'm sorry, in the Red Sea. And what we have uh, com communicated clearly uh, to our partners in the region, uh, privately and publicly. And this includes Iran. Uh, we're not, we don't want to see a, an additional conflict. We don't want to see a bigger conflict. But we will do what we have to do to protect our national security interests in the region. And before I let you go, I want to ask about the hostages. There are approximately 140 still there, reportedly eight Americans among them. What is the status of any negotiation for a humanitarian pause in exchange for hostages? And, and this, I have to say, as aid groups are saying that they're reaching apocalyptic freefall in Gaza. Is there enough urgency for the White House in these talks? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely there is. I can tell you that there's not an hour that goes by of any single day where our team on the ground out there and here back in Washington, D.C., aren't trying to work to get another pause in place. That pause lasted a full week, got 50 hostages out, saved countless lives, and of course got a lot of aid and assistance into Gaza. We're still working at this very, very hard. I wish I had better news on the, the American hostages that are left. We're still working to get better information about where they are, how they are, uh, and still working to get all those hostages hostages out. Uh, I can't give you uh, odds on how close we are to another pause. I can just assure you that we are working this with the same sense of urgency that we were before. Do you believe the Americans are still alive? Or does the administration still have that faith? 
We don't have any strong indications otherwise, Savannah. So we're working under the assumption that they are alive. We just don't have uh, great information and, uh, with a great specificity on each and every one of them. So we have to assume, we're going to assume, uh, that they're alive and that we can get them back with their families where they belong. Admiral John Kirby at the White House North Line for us. Thank you very much. 716. A lot more to get to this morning. We say good morning to Craig. Hello to Savannah. Good morning. Good morning to you as well. Now to that frightening scene here in New York where part of a a residential building collapsed into a massive pile of debris. NBC Stephanie Gosk is at the scene for us this morning. Steph, good morning to you. What's the latest? Hey, Craig, good morning. I have to tell you, it is remarkable standing at the foot of that building and looking up that no one was killed or injured in this collapse. And you can see on the seventh floor, there's an apartment there. And we zoomed in earlier. You can see a bed, chest of drawers. There are toys on the floor, seemingly undisturbed, but the exterior wall totally sheared off. And we're hearing from officials and from residents in this area that there's a good reason why people weren't injured and killed in this. And that's because they got a warning at about 3.30 in the afternoon yesterday, we're told there was a bang. People heard some rumbling and apparently got out. And that is when the building just completely collapsed and in a huge pile of rubble. The FDNY, the fire department here in New York, rushed to the scene, sifting through that rubble. And then an ominous warning late yesterday that they believed there might still be people in that rubble. But they're waking up this morning to the news that everyone got out who was inside the building. Right now, city officials do not have a cause for the collapse, although there was a report of some damage on the facade. I'll tell you, I spoke to a few people in this area who are standing here who live in this neighborhood. They told me they have a lot of problems with their building. They suspect maybe they had problems as well. And they're angry and afraid this morning, Craig. Understandably so. Amazingly, though, no one was hurt. Steph, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank goodness for that warning as well. Yeah, Yeah, indeed. All right. 718, Mr. Roker. We say good morning to you. Hey, good morning to you guys and good morning to all of you. Well, we got a lot going on in the south. This southern system is going to be intensifying near the Mexico border. Plus, we got a stationary front across southern Florida. These two systems getting themselves together. So areas of rain and snow will continue across the plains. Heavy rain through southern Florida with the stalled front and all this moisture. Take a look at this. We're talking about anywhere from one to three inches of rain throughout much of central and northern Texas. And down in Florida, we could see locally five inches of rain from Boca Raton down to Homestead. Plus, we're going to be watching snowfall anywhere to 6 to 12 inches uh, up to 24 inches above 7,500 feet in the Rockies. Now, we go into this weekend southern soaker. Friday, this system advances into Texas. It moves into the Gulf. Another one develops down through Florida, through the Florida Peninsula. Then this system dissipates, feeds that moisture into this system along the coast. We're looking for a lot of heavy rain, possibility of flooding from Florida into the Carolinas and this is going to move up into the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic states as we get into the weekend. So another weekend soaker may be on tap. And that's your latest weather, guys. All right. Thank now, you. Thank you. Still thank ahead, Jennifer Aniston opening up in her first interview since the passing of Matthew Perry, revealing she spoke to her friend's co-star the very day he died. But she's sharing now about their final conversation. Plus, we are taking a look inside a growing oh. problem in America's lakes. Those are gigantic goldfish. I can't Maggie Vespa <laughs> is on that story. Hey, Maggie. Hey, guys. Good morning. What a tale this is. There are going to be so many puns in this story. But yeah, look at this classic goldfish like this actually dubbed an invasive species in America's lakes. And as you saw, when people catch these things, they 
are huge. This bizarre problem that's got scientists hooked on finding a solution and pleading with parents to think twice before you flush these little guys down oh, the toilet. And this is a real nice. problem, guys. And that's, this is coming up. That's what's happening. All right, Maggie. That's I don't think I'm going to be the same again. We're going <laughs> to have that and more. Like, it's the right. snack that smiles back. But like, first. It's like a bass. This is today on NBC. <laughs> of course, Sam Hart. <laughs> it's a car. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash today just go to indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash today conditions apply need to hire you need indeed all right we do have a busy half hour to get to starting with Jennifer Aniston speaking out in her first interview since the sudden death of Matthew Perry. Yeah, the actress revealing to Variety magazine that she texted with her friend's co-star on the very morning that he passed away. And she thought he seemed happy and healthy. NBC's entertainment correspondent, Chloe Malas, has more on this. Hey, Chloe, good morning. Good morning, Hoda. We are learning more about Matthew Perry's final moments, this time by someone who he said helped him on his journey to sobriety, his longtime friend and co-star, Jennifer Aniston. This morning, Jennifer Aniston sharing personal new insights into Matthew Perry's final days. I love you. <laughs> mm, not so tight. Oh! <laughs> In a new interview with Variety, Aniston, who starred alongside Perry on the hit 90s sitcom Friends, says she had been in touch with Perry just hours before his death in October. I was literally texting with him that morning. Funny Maddie. He was not in pain. He wasn't struggling. He was happy. Perry was found unresponsive in a hot tub at his Los Angeles home by his assistant. The actor's initial autopsy results inconclusive, pending a toxicology report, according to the Los Angeles County Medical Examiner. The actor had been open about his decades-long battle with drug and alcohol addiction. But Aniston believes Perry was turning things around, telling the magazine he had quit smoking, he was getting in shape, he was happy, that's all I know. The actress adding, I want people to know he was really healthy and getting healthy. He was on a pursuit. He worked so hard. He really was dealt a tough one. I may just sit here and have my cake all day. Just sit here in the hallway and eat my... <laughs> Aniston says it was Perry's comedic genius, which helped make friends one of the most successful shows on television during its 10-year run on NBC. His way of speaking created a whole different world, 
We went with his lead in a way. It just added something to our joy. In the nearly seven weeks since Perry's death, his friends and fellow co-stars continued to pay tribute. On Monday, Zac Efron honoring his 17 again co-star during his Hollywood Walk of Fame ceremony. It really pushed me into the next chapter of my career. And for, for that, thank you so much, Matthew. But some of the most heartfelt tributes coming from his friends' co-stars, who attended a private burial for the actor last month. Aniston calling the outpouring of love beautiful. I hope he can know that he was loved in a way he never thought he was. Aniston also said that she hopes everyone will remember Perry as he'd love to be remembered, something Perry referenced himself when promoting his memoir last year, saying, when I die, I want helping others to be the first thing that's mentioned. And, you know, his family and loved ones, they started the Matthew Perry Foundation. Mm -hmm. And on the website I was looking last night, it has that quote right there. And his loved ones and his family, they are making sure that he is remembered the way that he wanted, he wanted to be remembered. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay. Thank you, Thank Chloe. You. Thank you so much. Chloe, thank you. We move now to that jaw-dropping site that is apparently lurking in lakes nationwide. Take a look if you can. Yeah. Massive goldfish like these are popping up in the wild. Some are more than a foot long and in extreme cases weigh dozens of pounds. Well, the problem other than just that is that they are extremely invasive and a major threat to other species. NBC's Maggie Vespa brings us this one. She's in Chicago near Lake Michigan. Okay, so Maggie, are these supposed to be those little goldfish that we all had for like two weeks as kids? (laughs) Two weeks. Right. I thought these things were so fragile, right? Yeah, no, this isn't some like distant cousin. This is cue the prop, the classic pet goldfish. And researchers say, as you saw, freakish looking giant versions of these things are wreaking havoc on the ecosystems of America's lakes. So much so that they're now pleading with parents to think twice before dumping these things or flushing them into the wild. On the list of menacing aquatic creatures, this morning, an unlikely addition, the standard pet goldfish, albeit supersized. Look at the size of this goldfish. It is bigger than my entire hand. Giant goldfish that scientists say are storming America's freshwater lakes. There's a whole school of them. I'm looking, literally looking at like 30 of them right now. The first time you saw these giant goldfish, what did you think? Honestly, I was in shock. I almost fell off my kayak. Um, Buffalo teacher and avid fisherman Mike Lochran says he's caught close to 10 giant goldfish on Lake Erie. Kind of a cool pattern on it, but bizarre. He goes by Fish Like Mike on social media, where his mind-blowing catches routinely make a splash. It's just crazy to see something that growing up, you go to the fair and you, you get a little goldfish in a bag. All of a sudden, you're seeing one. 14, 15 inches long. Look at that thing. Sightings becoming more common. Scientists now desperate to reel in this invasive species, which they say are ravaging the ecosystems of America's Great Lakes. A new study out last month lists options for reducing the population, including scooping goldfish out with commercial nets. But how do goldfish get from like pet store tanks to damaging America's lakes? Scientists say it's simple. Human error. What is the deal with these things? Where are they coming from? They are just people's pets that have been washed out or or people released into their local lakes and rivers. And they keep growing as long as they have food. A reminder, if you have a pet goldfish and you think it died, make sure it's actually dead before you flush it. A plea echoed by fishermen hungry for native fish along Chicago's Lake Michigan, including nine-year-old Connor. 
For someone who's thinking about dumping a goldfish in a river, what would you tell them? I said, like, don't do it. Shout out to Connor holding that fish that he caught, by the way. Uh, one last thing, scientists and researchers stress, if you catch giant versions of this thing, they say do not release them back into natural bodies of water. They actually recommend earmuffs, little guy, uh, disposing of them, I'll say. Guys, back to you. Well, Hoda was wondering how they taste. <laughs> well, Were you not? No. Well, I did wonder because we couldn't, they're, they're carp, right, you just said? Right. They're carp. We couldn't find someone who had tasted them. Nobody really wanted to, Good. shockingly. Right. So well, we, we you, don't know Maggie, at this point. We'll let you know. If, if Hoda invites you over for tilapia <laughs> over at her Ask house this Christmas, Ew. say no. Yeah. I didn't realize, there were, I'll be I didn't realize yeah. there were that many people <laughs> flushing, goldfish, flushing goldfish that were still alive. They probably didn't know. Maybe they thought <laughs> it was Think about dead. how many. But then they, you know, then they live. They're happy. Look at them. They're living <laughs> high off the land <laughs> and the sea. Wow. For the lake. Okay, it's, it's then. It's an apocalypse. We're going we're gonna to take a turn here this morning. Coming up, uh, a warning when it comes to holiday shopping. If you're searching online for a good deal on electronics, think you could spot a fake. Think again. Vicky Wynn's got an eye-opening story for us. But first, Joe Fryer's here. He's got some good news if you're stressed out about attending all those holiday parties that you're invited to. Yeah, yeah. You're worried that if you RSVP no, the host is just going to be so angry with you. But new research, an actual study suggests, maybe not. We'll explain after this. Listen up, true crime fans. It's a big murder trial underway. That's- Dateline is launching a new podcast with Andrea Canning. Welcome to Dateline True Crime Weekly. We'll cover breaking crime news around I the mean, country. It is the twists, the turns, the With craziness. the best reporters on the case, NBC News analysts, and Dateline producers on the ground. Break it down for us. Just You'll as- get fresh insights and behind-the-scenes scoops from crime scenes to courtrooms. That is bizarre. Stay the in the least. know and up to date. So tell us what he said. It Follow Dateline True Crime Weekly to get new episodes starting Thursday. Wherever you get your podcasts. Hi everyone, I'm Jenna Bush Hager from Today with Hoda and Jenna and the Read with Jenna book club. There's nothing I love more than sharing my favorite reads with all of you, except maybe talking to the exceptional authors behind these stories. And that's what I'll be doing on my podcast, Read with Jenna. I'll be introducing you to some of my favorite writers. These conversations will leave you feeling inspired and entertained. To start listening, just search Read with Jenna wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, guys. Let us face it, there's really no place like home for the holidays, especially if you're a homebody, especially mm-hmm. when you're facing a huge pile of party invites if you're lucky enough. Yes, lucky enough. if you're lucky enough. They're supposed to be fun events, but... It can also be quite the hassle, the source of a lot of stress for a lot of folks. Joe Fryer is here with some news this morning that might just ease our mind a bit, make us feel less guilty. Hey, good morning. Yeah, your friends are throwing parties, your work is throwing parties, your neighbors are throwing parties, your kids are going to parties, your family probably wants to see you. Am I missing anything? Okay, and you're probably thinking the host is going to be so mad if I don't go to all this stuff. But now there's science, published science, that proves... They're good. Sure, it's wonderful, but for most of us, it's the most stressful time of the year, with our worst party predicaments perfectly presented in shows like The Office. I miss the days when there was only one party I didn't want to go to. A recent study found 77% of people confessed to accepting an invitation to an activity they did not want to attend because they were concerned about the consequences of declining. They didn't want to seem, well, frosty. 
something that doesn't seem to bother comedian John Mulaney. Canceling plan is an amazing feeling. It is so much easier not to do things than to do them that you would do anything is totally remarkable. He might be on to something. That study I mentioned a moment ago, it was published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. Researchers conducted five experiments with more than 2,000 participants. And here's the bottom line. We overestimate the social consequences of saying no to an invite. We fear the person who invited us will be upset and it'll hurt the relationship. But hosts aren't that angry, certainly not as disappointed as we think they're going to be. By saying no, you just might avoid burnout. If you don't say yes to every invitation, then what that does is it gives you the opportunity to really invest quality time in the parties and the events that you go to. You can really be present instead of feeling as though it's some sort of obligation. You're a much better guest if you go to parties you actually want to be at. If you are attending a party but don't want to stay long, make a plan, like in the movie Four Christmases, where they made four stops in one day. If one of these houses gets a little too intense, I think we're going to need an exit strategy. Oh, yes. So, like, we're going to need a word that both of us know that means it's time to leave. So, what do you think our safe word should oh, be? Such a good idea. Um, mistletoe. Mistletoe is really good. If you are going to run, run, Rudolph, you can try what's known as the Irish exit, quietly leaving without saying goodbye. Something Chelsea Handler recently told Jimmy Fallon she has mastered. I don't mind that. I've done it plenty of times. I've done it in my own house at a dinner party. I've just, I have. I mean, I just am done with the company and I wrap things up and I just go to bed, you know? I've done the same yeah. thing. Just go upstairs, leave yeah. everyone yeah. answers. Yeah, I have. So Joe, here, I mean, here's the thing. If you've got a packed calendar and you really can't make it to something, how do you best communicate that without coming off like a... Well, first joke? of all, the experts say don't commit to more engagements in a week during the holidays than you would normally during the rest of the year. That is right. a rule that you can still follow. Right. If you are going to say no, um, you don't have to provide an excuse or reason why you're not going. Just make sure you respond in a timely manner. You should RSVP as soon as possible. You should do it at least three days, maybe longer, before the event takes place. And if you are going to go and you're going to plot an exit, there's the Irish exit, as we just mentioned there. Okay. Where I'm from, we have the Minnesota goodbye. What is that? Which is where you announce you're about to leave, have an in-depth conversation with every single person who's <laughs> at the party. It's like a 30, 60 minutes. And then you move to the kitchen yeah. where you pack up the leftovers, yeah. clean their kitchen, oh maybe do their dishes. There you go. And then you move to the driveway where while your car is warming up yeah. for 15, 20 minutes, yes. you talk longer and two, three hours Minnesota later, nice. Oh, Minnesota. I love exactly. that. That's amazing. Different types of goodbyes. Around here, we call it the Houdini. Hoda leaves. You, well, you know she was there. You didn't even know. No. It's like a drive-by. It is. Boom. It's really. It, oh. it kind of works like this. Hoda just starts talking to you. <laughs> and then, you know, and, and you, she, you, she goes, oh, look, Haley's coming. And then, and then you turn back around and, and she's gone. And she's just she's like gone. that. You've been starting with no for years. Oh, I love the no. Where are you going? Now we need you. Saying no. Okay, let's uh, let's show you what's going on. Uh, Donnie, would you start my meteorologist, Johnny, just to hit the map? uh, We're looking at uh, our snow drought. So far this season, we are expecting, I mean, we got lots of snow up to the north, but only 6% of what we should have this time of the year in Boston, New York, zero, Philly, Washington, the same. Cleveland, only at 55%. In fact, the last day with one inch of daily snowfall for New York, 667 days 
days ago. 695 in Richmond, Philly, 682. It's the longest snow drought on record in New York. Same in Philadelphia, fifth longest in D.C. Baltimore, longest drought on record as well. And we've got no snow in sight. And that's your latest weather. All right, Al, thank you. Uh, coming up, we got a morning boost you cannot miss in just a moment. Plus, we guys, we're going to head to Connecticut for the newest stop on our merriest oh, Main yes. Street tour. And it could be our merriest jet. Wait until you see this holiday spirit already on display. But first, these messages. That's the place I was talking about.